This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, what we have today in our gospel is a tale of sin and grace. We see very clearly what both states look like, and so it behooves us to attend very carefully to the dynamics of this narrative. We hear that Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. Now, as we know, the Pharisees were members of a sect within Judaism that was hyper-concerned with ritual purity and the strict following of the law. Think of religious enforcers within any religious tradition. Perhaps the Taliban would come to mind today. That's maybe a little too harsh to compare the Pharisees to them, but at least you get the idea. People who were sort of enforcers of religious orthodoxy and religious practice among the people. Now, Jesus' message had been one of repentance, changing the mind and the heart, metanoia. I've talked about that before, going beyond the mind that you have. That was the beginning of Jesus' message, repent. But the Pharisees didn't see much need for repentance on their own part. They were very interested in noticing the sins of others. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that sparks would fly at a meeting of Jesus and a Pharisee. How come he invited Jesus to his home? Well, likely not to listen to him and abide by his teaching, much more likely to watch him to catch him in his speech. They were suspicious of Jesus. So he comes, you know, in a somewhat negative uh, context. Now, Luke tells us, there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that Jesus was a table in the house of the Pharisee. So this character is introduced to us. We hear she is sinful. She's full of sin. Now, I would suggest don't think primarily of the sins that she's committed. Think rather of sin as a state that this woman was in. Sinful, not just because I have lots of sins, but sinful that I'm marked through and through by sin, by a state. St. Augustine defines sin as curvatus in se, caved in on oneself. Dante, as you know, represented sin pictorially as being stuck in ice, being frozen. Spiritual masters in more recent years have used words such as alienation and separation to describe the state of sin. Here's what they're all getting at, I think. To be in sin is to be cut off from the deepest source of life. Let me say it again. To be in sin, to be sinful, is to be cut off from the deepest source of life. It is to have severed 
your link to God. Now, by kind of spiritual physics, certain things will follow from this. So you're cut off now from the very source of life. You're cut off from God. You will almost necessarily become afraid and thus live your life defensively. Here's where Augustine's definition comes in. Caving in around yourself. And in your fear, what? You start grasping and clinging to those things that you think you need in order to survive. So again, mind you, you're cut off from God, the real source of life. You're afraid. You're caved in around yourself. You now start clinging, grasping, reaching out desperately for things that you think you need to sustain your life. Pleasure, power, money, honor, all the usual things. You say at some deep level, I need to fill up my life with more and more of these things or I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be lost. What else follows from being cut off from God? You will see your fellow human beings as threats. How come? Now, again, there's a spiritual physics here. You see it all the time in people's lives. But here's the principle. Other people are seen as threats who will take the little of pleasure, money, power, honor that's out there. You see, think of it like as animals who are competing for limited amounts of food. How will you see your fellow animals? Well, they're threats. They're rivals. They're going to get the little that's there. It's a scarce environment. There's only so much money, power, honor, and pleasure to go around. And other human beings are going to be threats because they want the same thing you want. And so you block them. You attack them. You defend yourself against them. Sound familiar? Here's what being caved in on oneself leads to. It leads to icy alienation and separation, not just from God, but now from everybody else. Now, see, friends, with all that background in mind, can you see why sin, as I've been describing it, conduces to all the familiar sins? All those forms of hatred and violence and cruelty, all gossiping, all slander, all maliciousness. Do you see where it comes from? It comes from an underlying state of being in sin. This is why it's interesting. So many of the spiritual teachers learn to look beyond symptoms to underlying causes. Much in the manner of a physician who will look at your presenting symptoms, but he's always interested in the underlying disease, right? Now, stay with that analogy. I think it's very helpful. Any doctor who simply treats symptoms is a lousy doctor because he's almost guaranteeing that the symptoms will return. If you come to him and say, well, I've got a fever, I've got a headache, I've got a rash, I'm sweating all the time, and he gives you some pill maybe that addresses the symptoms, but never asks the question, well, what's causing all that? Is there perhaps one underlying cause, some malady, which is producing all these symptoms? He's got to get at that and deal with it. 
Well, it's very similar in the spiritual order. Someone can present all kinds of symptoms of spiritual disorder. All the sins they're engaging in. Now, we can look at that and say, well, that's a terrible person. Or we can say, now, try to just stop doing those things. Well, that's rarely effective, is it? Because you've not gotten at the underlying cause. Jesus is the greatest spiritual master and is always interested in that deep down frozenness, that deep down alienation and separation, which is causing sins on the surface. Okay, with all that in mind now, let's return to Luke's story of this sinful woman and what she does when she comes to Jesus. This woman now, who is publicly known to be a sinner, Luke doesn't tell us exactly what the problem is, but you can guess, and most of the tradition has seen her as a prostitute, someone who's publicly known as a sinner. She comes in to the home of a Pharisee in the middle of a dinner party. Now, see, please notice how stunning that is in itself. You know, we're so used to this story, we think, oh yeah, she comes into this into this banquet hall or into this home. But see how odd that is. Suppose you're at a very fancy dinner being given by a respected religious leader and into the room uninvited comes a prostitute. That in itself is shocking enough. Now, watch what she does. She then performs this whole series of extravagant acts. She anoints Jesus' feet with oil, washes them with her tears, dries them with her hair. Now, again, we're kind of used to hearing the story, but put yourself in that scene at that time. You're in the home of a respected religious figure who's holding a formal dinner party for another respected sort of religious uh, VIP. And in comes this woman known publicly to be a prostitute and then starts weeping on the feet of this figure, drying her tears with her hair, anointing him. I mean, this is pretty scandalous stuff. I'm sure everybody in that room was uncomfortable. And I bet the Pharisee was secretly overjoyed. Why? Because now he had good evidence to use against Jesus. And we hear his thoughts. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Isn't that great? I mean, we see ourselves, don't we, in that? Ah, this is a great opportunity now. I, I know this guy really isn't that great a prophet, and I can use this against him. But Jesus now will compel the Pharisee and us to see things in a different light. He tells the devastatingly apt parable of the creditor with two debtors. One who owed him a small amount, the other who owed him a massive amount. The creditor forgave both debts. And Jesus asks, which of the debtors would love him more? The answer comes back. The correct answer, Jesus says, the one who owed him much more. What's the point? That there is a tight correlation between the amount of forgiveness and the amount of love that follows. That's the principle. Love follows from forgiveness. Now, again, keep in mind, I'm not talking primarily about sins. I'm talking about sin. 
this state of being, this frozenness, this curvatus in se, being cut off from the very source of life. Forgiveness here means reconnection. That's what people found in Jesus. They found a reconnection to the deepest source of life. That's what forgiveness means here. It means the melting of spiritual frozenness. It means the opening up of this flow of life. See, what happens, what follows from forgiveness now is love. Why? She's reconnected to the very source of existence, which is love. That will overflow in love. That's the way it works. When we're frozen, we're curvatus in se, we're in sin, then we are like misers. We stingily cling to the little we have. But when we found the source of life again through forgiveness, now we begin to overflow with life. That's why that wonderful line from the Psalms, my cup runneth over. See what that means. That's someone speaking now out of the deep source. They're out of this deep connection with God and the cup of their life now runneth over. They're not trying desperately to fill it up with pleasure, money, power. That cup is overflowing with love because they found the source again. That's where this woman is found, see, in Jesus. And so she overflows with love. That's why Jesus says to her, woman, your faith has saved you. Isn't that great? Faith. She's been reconnected to the source. And that's why she's been saved through and through saved, S-A-L-V-E-D, very closely related to the word save. You've been healed, see, and now you overflow with love. Simon's problem is he's not been forgiven. He's not found that source, but the woman has, and she, she overflows with love. That's the heart of the spiritual life, and God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.